All right, boom, we're back. This is the Awaken Indie Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Aaron McNicholas, your host, and this is your local Indiana podcast focusing on holistic health, regenerative agriculture, and all things local to Indiana. I'm excited for today's show, just as always, and if you've tuned in, you've probably heard a couple of our solo casts, and today is going to be another one of those episodes. You're going to have to put up with me for the next hour or so, Um, but I'm excited to talk about today um, holistic support for cardiovascular disease, heart disease, and give folks some options. And I think it's an important topic to talk about because currently, you know, heart disease is the number one cause of mortality, and it's right in front of cancer. And we've done a previous episode on cancer, and so I thought it was appropriate to kind of share today about such a prevalent condition. The alarming thing and the concerning thing about heart disease is that it's largely preventable and responds fairly well to lifestyle changes. So it's something that I think if we give a little bit more attention to, we understand more of the root causes of and are willing to accept responsibility and change our life and adopt some of these healthy habits that we're going to discuss today, real improvement can be seen. Um, So we're going to dive into today's show. Before we do, just a couple of reminders. If you haven't stopped by Georgetown Market yet, swing on by the store. They have great local classes. Um, they have a deli that's got lots of different offerings, um, herbs, supplements, as well as now at the store, Dr. Lauren and I are offering functional lab work options. So if you're interested in having your lab work done and interpreted at Georgetown Market, that is an option for you. Secondly, um, if you haven't already, follow us on social media. You can follow Georgetown Market on Facebook and Instagram. If you like kind of my approach to illness and herbalism and functional medicine, you can follow me. It's Heartwood Herbals. It's spelled H-A-R-T, Heartwood Herbals. It's on Instagram. You can check out my website, heartwoodherbals.com. And then lastly, um, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show. Um, to get up to date when new episodes come out. That way you can also share episodes with family and friends and help support all of our great local Indiana endeavors and guests. So we're going to jump into today's show. I hope everyone enjoys. And again, I think it's such a a prevalent condition, heart disease, and hopefully we'll offer some solutions and options for folks that are listening today. All right, let's jump into today's show, guys. So if you joined us for our last solo cast, it was on cancer. And you know, that was kind of heavy on the science and the medicine um, side of things. And I think it's important for me to disclose, I'm not a medical doctor. Um, I don't play one on TV. I'm not treating, diagnosing, or curing anyone on today's show. I'm just sharing options from other prominent researchers and doctors in the area, um, as well as my own experience. So If you are someone that's facing um, heart disease, I'd recommend you at least get checked out by a doctor, be in communication with someone, um, that way you're playing it safe and you're covering your basis, and then from there, explore what options seem appropriate to you and the medical options and freedoms that you want to choose. So just putting that out there, if people have more questions too, I'll include my email in the show notes, but it is heartwoodherbals, H-A-R-T, heartwoodherbals at gmail.com. People can ask questions if they want more in-depth um, explanations or if they want to set up an appointment to kind of go over the kind of stuff we're going to chat about today. So let's just kind of kick off the show by talking about like what is 
heart disease. Um, so heart disease, cardiovascular disease, kind of same terminology that's a, a broad umbrella term. It kind of includes a lot of different potential pathologies and diagnoses. And allopathic medicine likes to kind of designate heart disease into a couple different categories, kind of depending on where the issue is. So if the issue is in the blood vessels of the heart, that might be like coronary heart disease. If it's in the brain, that might be like cerebrovascular disease. If it's the vessel supply in the arms and legs, that might be peripheral arterial disease. And there's other terms like congenital heart disease that has to do with abnormal or abnormalities in the heart um, that develops before birth. So we have lots of different terms that kind of can define that we might have a cardiovascular issue going on. And so that might help you if you've maybe been labeled with one of those conditions to tell you kind of what they view um, as the issue and where it's going on in the body. Um, but we're going to quickly maybe turn that on its head. So let's dive in a little bit further. So why is it important to study cardiovascular disease? Well, as I kind of said in the intro to the show, it's a very prevalent condition. It's the leading cause of death for both men and women. And it's also the leading cause of death for most racial and ethnic groups in the U.S. So very prominent, very prevalent. Most people you know have had to deal with some type of heart issue. Um, and in fact, you know, it's just some of these modern statistics, they say that Every 36 seconds in the U.S., someone dies from cardiovascular disease. Um, that's usually about one in four people will be affected by it, and it can cost the U.S. anywhere from $363 billion or more. Um, that was back in 2016, 2017, so I'm assuming it's, it's more now, how much it's costing the U.S. And as I said earlier, too, it's largely a condition that is preventable and, I believe, misunderstood. And I believe it's misunderstood because of some, of course, modern biology, modern research that's kind of sent us askew. So the next couple things I'm going to talk about are largely based on uh, material that I've found from a doctor named Dr. Tom Cowan, who I've mentioned a couple times on the show, and also from Rudolf Steiner, who I've mentioned before. So they kind of view heart, um, the heart, as not necessarily a pump. And that might sound very um, counterintuitive, contradictory to what um, modern science tells us, but they viewed the heart as something else. And Steiner often said that it was closer um, to a hydraulic press. And I'll go more into what he meant by that. But even Dr. Tom Cowan says, you know, we try to understand the heart through the arteries that supply it. And, you know, conventional allopathic medicine views um, plaque and the blockage in those main arteries that supply our tissues, supply our heart, as being the issue. And stents and bypass surgery are the conventional recommendations because of that. But they've shown, however, that bypass surgery relieves um, not all symptoms, um, and if it does relieve symptoms, it doesn't address the root cause and prevent further heart attacks from occurring. And that the only patients that seem to largely benefit are those that are in critical, traumatic, acute situations. And so what I'm saying here is if you need modern allopathic medicine 
in a traumatic situation, it is a great option. (laughs) I'm not trying to knock our medical establishment. I think it's very necessary that when we have those really scary, alarming situations that we use that medicine. But, you know, if you're someone who has had heart issues on and off your whole life and some of the suggested interventions haven't worked for you up until now, let's start viewing um, heart disease in a different light. And that's what we're going to go over today. So there's another study done in rural Alabama on African-American men. And I bring this study up because it helps to bring up, I think, a new biology, as like Dr. Tom Cowan describes, an understanding of the heart. So what they did is they did angiograms in all the men in this study presenting with chest pain. And for those with a single artery blocked, they didn't really prescribe any intervention. They kind of just left them on their merry way, which might be like medical negligence, but it was a study. And they predicted that those that had that blockage would come back with a heart attack, likely in that area that supplied the blocked artery. So the blocked artery was found. They thought, all right, well, that's the area that the heart attack is going to happen in, and let's check it later on. So many of the men did return and had myocardial infarctions, but less than 10% had them in the area that was supplied by the blocked artery. So why is that important? It shows us that where you have your heart attack is not directly related to where the blockage is at. So our modern viewpoint that a blocked artery, that plaque and all these other things contributes largely to our cardiovascular issues is not necessarily true. And I remember being in undergraduate um, studies at IU here in Bloomington, and I remember we had a cadaver in anatomy class, and we had a male and a female, and I believe the male ended up dying from heart-related issues. I can't remember fully, but I believe it was heart-related issues. And he had a major artery that was blocked, and it looked very much unlike the female's artery. And if you looked at his cardiovascular network, he had a lot of collateral vessels that set up. And what your body does is if it has a blockage, you know, it's going to do something about that. So if an artery is blocked, it's going to send off other vessels so that the blood can be rerouted and that issues don't arise. And so most blockages are compensated by collateral blood vessels and most bypasses, surgeries, angioplasties are done on patients with minimal symptoms who have already had collateralized blood vessels. So they've already kind of intuitively, inherently, because their body's a smart system, solved the issue. They've done other studies assessing the oxygen levels of myocardial cells or heart cells during a myocardial infarction, and they've shown that there is no shown oxygen deficit. So This is kind of like very counterculture to what we're told, um, especially if you've seen a modern cardiologist of what they might tell you is going on. So what is going on? So I really like um, Dr. Tom Cowan for issues of the heart. And he's got a great book, um, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, that I think is definitely worth a read. Um, You can check out his website. It's called The New Biology Clinic. Um, and then I think if you even just type in Dr. Tom Cowan, um, that would pop up. Yeah. His website. So drtomcowan.com, 
Um, the clinic is a great way to set up appointments with him and know more about what he's doing. And his website, Dr. Tom Cowan, has more information on heart disease, some of the products that he sells, and numerous um, articles that he has published. So I would definitely check that out. And then if you go to his website, he's got a great article called What Causes Heart Attacks. And so he largely views, and many other doctors view, that heart issues are caused by an imbalance of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So our sympathetic nervous system, many people probably know, is our fight or flight side of our nervous system, while the parasympathetic is our rest and digest. The sympathetic nervous system is centered in the adrenal medulla, while the parasympathetic is centered in the adrenal cortex. The sympathetic nervous system uses a chemical adrenaline, and it activates a series of glycolytic pathways that basically accelerate the breakdown of glucose, sugar, into energy. This accelerates and constricts the heart. Well, on the other side of things, the parasympathetic nervous system innervates, um, is innervated by largely the vagus nerve. Excuse me. So it's the vagus nerve that largely innervates um, the heart through the parasympathetic nervous system. So this relaxes the heart. So there are ways to study, you know, your sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system. Um, You can do heart rate variability testing, for example, to kind of see which side you're skewed more towards. Um, I'd say most um, modern um, individuals living on this planet are probably skewed a little bit more towards their sympathetic dominance. I mean, with the violence we see on TV, with stressful jobs, you know, a go, 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 go lifestyle, um, excess caffeine consumption, and just the modern stresses. I mean, we're exposed daily to more pieces of information than any other um, ancestor we've had. I think it's a, it's a very unique time to be alive. Excuse me. And we need to kind of find ways to chill out, relax. And so it's the imbalance of these two systems that Dr. Tom Cowan proposes causes heart disease. And it's the ongoing decrease in parasympathetic activity that is largely dangerous. Um, this is maybe caused by a decrease in vagal activity. And decreased vagal activity can come about because of things like smoking, diabetes, stress, which I mentioned before. And if you're a, a male, actually, too, because men um, typically have less vagal activity um, than females. So sorry, guys. That's also why men typically have a higher incidence of heart disease than females. So if you're a male, you really got to chill out um, because you're already kind of predisposed in a way. And so if we trace this back, like what's the pathophysiology that Dr. Cowan is proposing causes heart disease? Um, It would be you'd have a decreased parasympathetic nervous system that then is compensated with an increased sympathetic nervous system activity, more stress, And this causes anaerobic glycolysis. This is the breakdown of glucose. And it's away from the heart's preferred ketones and fatty acids. That's why if you look at the ketogenic diet and some of the research around that, why does it largely improve the brain and heart? Because our brain and heart prefer ketones. So there's a different shift towards anaerobic glycolysis. This produces lactic acid. 
This creates localized acidosis. We're creating an acidic environment, a non-health confirming environment. And then the cells are unable to contract. And this causes other issues like edema and necrosis. And that's why oftentimes people say, you know, hey, I've put on a lot of water weight. How do I get it off? And that's oftentimes related to um, not only their hydration, but it could be related to also um, their cardiovascular system. And so I mentioned earlier that, you know, Dr. Cowan and Rudolf Steiner both kind of viewed the heart as not a pump, that it was something else. So Steiner felt that there were three important things for the evolution of humanity, not just, you know, us to continue on, but for us to progress and keep growing. And the first one, this is my favorite one, you know, that we should stop working for money. And if you understand what that largely means, it means that you should be following your life's purpose. And it'd be the thing that probably, even if you didn't get paid for, you'd probably still be doing. And it can be very taxing on the adrenals um, to every single day of your life, have to go and do something that you hate, or you don't feel is in alignment with who you are. And so I'd say one of the first things you can do if you are facing heart issues is just ask yourself, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? And if you're not, maybe find ways to shift that. Maybe find ways to slowly spend more hours doing that side hobby that you really wish was a full career, trying to find ways that maybe you could take a little bit of time off work to steward, yeah, this other creative side of you. But besides that, Steiner also believed that there are no such things as sensory and motor nerves, that all nerves are sensory nerves. And then lastly, the heart is not a pump. So he believed that the heart is more like a hydraulic ram. And if you're like me, I was like, what the heck is a hydraulic ram? Um, It's a device that is mostly used um, or primarily used in flowing water. And it basically holds water in a holding tank behind a gate mechanism and it's pressure and volume that causes differentials across the gate leading it to open and propel fluid uphill so he basically saw the heart as a pressure and um, as a pressure gradient and if you look largely that's kind of how it works you know blood rushes into the heart a certain pressure is hit and then you know we have a valve that opens and then it fills into the next chamber And there's other doctors besides Dr. Tom Cowan who kind of believe this and that other doctors are even beginning to come up and speak out that, you know, the blood, for example, is an autonomous organ, that it has its own impulse and that the heart largely serves as a regulator, but the heart um, is not this pump. And Dr. Cowan believes that the work of Gerald Pollack, who talks about the fourth phase of water, Um, This is largely helping us to understand why blood moves in the body through um, kind of like an electrical current, the separation of charges that creates flow or the movement of blood. And you've probably heard me talk about the fourth phase of water, you know, in our body. If I was to cut myself, you know, I wouldn't bleed water. Um, You don't really find a gas or you don't find ice in your body. So it's largely proposed that there's a fourth phase that's crystalline and structured in nature um, that is more involved, I think, in our, our health. And if you go back to vitalistic um, viewpoints and philosophy behind medicine, 
this was our original idea that, you know, the spark of life, that there's something not definable. You can't really see it under a microscope, that there's something like God or source or electricity or um, something intangible that kind of creates us and makes us who we are. And this is opposed to mechanistic and materialistic and modern allopathic medicine that, you know, largely defines health through chemicals and math and more of our heavy sciences. And I think both are right and both are wrong that we have science today that is not very scientific, that how many scientific papers actually follow the scientific method? Not many, in my opinion. And there's also things on the alternative side that, you know, I think can be sometimes made up or created to be larger than life that also need to be defined, but that we've kind of gotten away from this viewpoint that water and energy and, you know, this undefinable God or source in us is an important part of health too. And I think we need to get back to that and largely view that, yeah, like these scientific findings now are showing that there is a fourth phase and there is water involved in how we produce energy. And we need to get back to those vitalistic principles. So kind of moving on here, if you're sticking with me and some of my crazy ideas and some of these other doctors' crazy ideas, I think it's worth now going into what are some of the allopathic sides. And this to me sounds just as crazy. And that's why I tend to accept um, some of what of um, what Dr. Cowan and Rudolf Steiner proposes is more, um, I guess, accurate, because I think it goes back to a more um, historic and traditional system of medicine. I mean, vitalism was around a long, long, long time ago. I mean, it dates back to Aristotle. And then largely, modern science dates back to like the 1850s. We were in communion with plants for a long, long time. I mean, before we had science, how did we learn that plants did what they did? You know, we had people who said, oh, the tree spoke to me and it told me that it was good for this. And then we survived for a very long time as a species based on those um, words of wisdom from the plants. And even if you are a heavy science person, you got to accept the fact that we made it here somehow, right? And so these intuitive healings, I think, need more of our appreciation um, and that we see some of these allopathic treatments that there's often side effects and that even though we want to understand their mechanism of action, I think we still miss the boat sometimes. So here are some of the modern treatments that you may or may not have received if you are a cardiovascular patient. So diuretics, we're probably all familiar with those. They oftentimes cause the body to put out more urine. So we're trying to flush water out of the body. When more urine is put out, more water is taken away from the blood. The blood becomes thicker and less blood goes to the kidneys, brain, or other organs. The problem with diuretics is that they often cause a loss of important minerals. There are potassium-sparing diuretics. Um, There are even potassium-sparing diuretics in nature, like, for example, dandelion leaf. That's a great one. Um, But the issue is that when we largely deplete the body of minerals, this in itself increases our risk of cardiac arrhythmias. So another category are beta blockers. This causes the heart to beat slower and with less force. So less blood is expelled with each heartbeat. So this also decreases blood flow to vital organs like the brain and kidneys again. And that 
when we're pumping less like that, if you want to follow modern allopathic modalities, that this is a decreased sympathetic activity. And I'm going to come back to this here in a second. The other thing is that beta blockers can alter lipid levels, and this might predispose the patient to type 2 diabetes. There's also calcium channel blockers, and as the name says, this blocks calcium channels. Um, calcium can't flow back and forth, and this causes an increase in contractility. The issue, though, is that this can cause constipation, and as you've heard me probably talk about poop a lot on the show, constipation is a very, very, very bad thing. You know, bowel movements are how we rid ourselves of toxins, so getting that trapped in the body is probably not a good idea. And again, this interferes with the body's ability to get enough oxygen to other organs. So the last two things you might be familiar with are like ACE inhibitors. These are angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, and then statins. And if you want to hear a more complete talk on statins, I would go to the episode um, with Dr. Lauren and I where we talk about um, modern functional medicine interpretation. We go over statins and cholesterol and CBCs and CMPs on that episode. So if you want to hear Dr. Lauren talk about statins, that's a great episode to check out. Um, but statins largely affect cholesterol by reducing it. Statins stimulate acetylcholine and nitric oxide, which mediate the autonomic nervous system. Um, the problem with statins is that they deplete the body of CoQ10, which is a really important um, nutrient for the heart itself. But that you know, cholesterol, and this is becoming more and more popular now in the understanding of cholesterol, is that cholesterol is not the issue. And oftentimes, I get a lipid panel back, and I largely ignore the total cholesterol um, number that I see because cholesterol is needed for um, our brain. If you don't have cholesterol, you can't heal your brain. Um, we need cholesterol to make sex uh, hormones. So if you're going through hormone disruptions, cholesterol is needed. And the allopathic cutoff for most cholesterol levels um, is way, 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 way too low because they want to sell statins. And there's even talk of the importance that we should put statins in the water supply because everyone needs a statin. And this is largely <laughs> alarming because, um, no, cholesterol is not the issue. Um, it's, in fact, our relationship to other things. And it's not going to ever address the root cause of what's going on. And the more that we kind of try to view the body in isolation like this, um, the more issues we're going to have. So these medications, again, don't address the root cause. They keep the body in a low oxygen state. I mean, we can't get blood supply to the blood, to the kidneys, and that's why people allergy, you know, they feel like they're out of their body or they can't think or they have issues with elimination when they're on these medications. Um, they might feel fatigued. Um, other things like impotence. Like, I mean, how many times do you hear when you watch TV at the end of a um, drug advertisement, the laundry list of side effects. And these medications largely work because they restore the parasympathetic balance. I mean, all those things I just talked about. I mean, they help lower the contract, um, the, you know, expulsion and the force of the heart, which is sympathetic activity. Um, and they stop supplying as much to these organs. So it's reducing the sympathetic dominance. And that's largely, as we established earlier, 
the issue um, that arises with the most heart disease. So whether modern cardiologists will define their medications as working on that balance, that's largely how I view it and other doctors view it as being beneficial. So there's numerous complications from heart disease, and one of those might be hypertension, and that's something that largely a lot of people deal with. Um, they have to go get you know, their blood pressure checked um, through cuff monitors. They have to go to their doctor's office, and they might be frustrated because every time they go see their doctor, they're like, I promise that my blood pressure is not normally this high, um, and they feel bad because every time they go in to get it checked, it's way worse. And I'd say first and foremost... You know, check your blood pressure on your own. You know, you can get a cuff very easily and you can learn how to do it yourself. You can have a loved one do it very easily. You can get cuffs very easily, at like CVS, for example, um, or other medical supply stores, and just check it twice a day. That's an easy step right there to monitor your blood pressure. So someone's going to listen to this episode and say, Aaron, you're defining hypertension incorrectly. Um, hypertension has been defined over the years at varying levels. Um, they've changed it constantly. So I would say that there's no great definition, but I would say it's greater than 140 over 90. And someone's not going to be happy with that answer, but that's what I'm going to go with for today's show. Um, and I'd also say too, 120 over 80 is not the gold standard. Not everyone is going to have that blood pressure. Some may be lower, some may be higher. And if you feel good, your markers come back fine, you are in good health, and you do everything you want, and you can do it without um, inhibition from your health, then there's no problem. And, you know, I think oftentimes we want to fit people into these boxes and define them, and not everyone is going to fit into that box. And so if you feel good, and you're just a little bit high, I don't think that's a big deal. So... What are the numbers? What do they mean? So the top number is our systolic number, and that's the pressure generated when the heart is contracting. And then what's the bottom number? That's our diastolic pressure, and that's the pressure generated when the heart is relaxing. It's the pressure between heartbeats. So hypertension can lead to things. I mean, we might be told that it leads to heart attack or stroke or kidney failure or heart failure. And a heart attack, you know, is the interruption of blood supply to the heart. Um, we define stroke based on two forms of either a hemorrhage, which is a blood vessel that breaks open, or a clot, and that's a blocked artery. And this is an interruption of blood supply to the brain. And then kidney failure, there's also two ways. There's too much pressure. There's not enough circulation to the kidneys. And we defined earlier that some of these medications, in fact, um, starve the kidney for blood supply. So these are the consequences of high blood pressure. And again, so I would go back, you know, if you have high blood pressure, if you've had blood pressure issues in the past, go get a cuff, go measure yourself twice a day on your own, do it when you're relaxed, you know, try to get calm, have a loved one do it, and then monitor it yourself. But in the vein of monitoring um, our health values, I think lab work is also appropriate and some testing is also appropriate. So, most people would agree nowadays, I think, even if you are um, maybe in allopathic medicine, but definitely functional medicine practitioners would agree that most times lipid panels um, are not the most um, revealing tests. They don't really show us that much, especially given that we don't really believe that high cholesterol is an issue. 
but I think they're still worth reviewing because they can show us a lot of times um, what is going on, I think, in the diet. And that's how I use lipid panels. Now, other people focus more on like the size um, of like LDL and go down that rabbit hole. I don't personally, but if you want to work with someone who's a cardiologist that interprets blood in a functional um, framework that's more stringent, that might be something that they discuss with you as well. But I'll say what I mostly look at when I get a lipid panel is the ratio of total cholesterol to HDL. Um, Dr. Cowan talks about this, that this is a really good standard and that when we look at it, if we divided like total cholesterol, let's say total cholesterol is 200 and our HDL was 50, you know, 200 divided by 50 would be four. And that would probably put us at low risk. And you can find uh, more information about this. If you go to Weston A. Price and type in Tom Cowan, he's got a whole thing on um, blood pressure and um, issues related to the heart. And you can get some of these um, nuggets of wisdom in some of his articles that he wrote for Weston A. Price. And he basically in categories says like, you know, if it's less than 3.5, that's no risk. If it's 3.5 to 4.5, that's low risk. And you start getting to higher risk above 4.5 and then higher risk is 5.5 or above. So again, we're dividing our total cholesterol by our HDL. And that's a good marker to look at if you're concerned about your cholesterol panel. Um, I would say also if your HDL comes back low and you're worried because our HDL is our good protective cholesterol um, and your maybe like triglycerides came back high, um, triglycerides could be an issue, especially if there's inflammation going on. Um, this basically tells me that there is a large amount of carbohydrate intake in the diet. And so I look at HDL and triglycerides and their distribution to tell me if we need to put in more fats and proteins um, and reduce carbs. And most people, I'd say we eat nowadays like we're these huge um, ultra endurance, high performance athletes. Um, I'm not anti-carbohydrate, but I think we should dose carbs based on how active we are. Um, high LDL is indicative of maybe liver stress. Um, I'd say also if you've been on some of these medications in the past, your liver is probably toxic, um, especially also if like your CRP came back high. That could be also a marker of inflammation that you should look at. And at that point, I would start looking at ways to um, flush out chemicals, starting with getting, you know, regular bowel movements uh, three a day to make sure you're getting toxins out of the body. Try to sweat, do a sauna, um, do cold um, plunges, get our lymphatic moving. And then avoid toxins in our diet and our water. And I've gone over that in the past. I'd say to find a doctor, find a cardiologist who maybe can do like a stress echo test, who does like a physical exam. They look at your pulse. Um, they check for edema, those kinds of things, because that can also be very important to catch things. Um, a stress echo test is basically looking at the heart's ability to move under stress um, of physical exertion. So if you go see a cardiologist, maybe you have a cardiologist you work with. Maybe bring up a stress echo with them and see what they say about that and maybe look into running that test. As I mentioned earlier, heart rate variability is also um, something worth looking at for parasympathetic and sympathetic um, dominance. 
if you're interested in doing some things to help with your parasympathetic nervous system and helping vagal tone, um, simple things like humming or singing can help with that. Um, I would say also you can look at acupuncture and body work, like osteopathy as well for vagal tone. Cold showers also help with vagal tone and starting with those and seeing if that helps from there. All right. So let's get into what we can do about heart disease. So as we talked about on the show before, diet is so important. And I'd say especially with heart disease, dietary fats are one of the most important things to consider. So right now in your house, if you have um, PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, you have nut and seed oils, like you have a lot of corn and soybean, peanut oil, vegetable oils at home, I would toss those out right away. Um, If they come in a plastic bottle, I'd also toss them out. If they're not pressed fresh, then I'd toss them out too. Even if they're the greatest organic seed oil, if it's not freshly pressed, it's probably rancid. So inflammatory oils in our diet can have a huge effect on cholesterol. And you're like, Aaron, I thought you just said cholesterol is not an issue. It's not an issue. We need it for, like I said, our brain and our hormones. But if you're putting inflammatory fats in your diet, then we'll see you know, bad things like high LDL, high triglycerides, and maybe an elevated cholesterol. And if it's those three things that we see, then yes, that it is an issue. So I would swap out those nut and seed oils with things like grass-fed raw butter, um, ghee, um, free-range eggs, pastured chicken, grass-fed beef, um, avocados, avocado oil, maybe a small amount of nuts and seeds in the diet, um, some unsweetened dark chocolate, cacao powder. Get these healthy fats in your diet and go from there. So again, you know, look at Weston A. Price. If you're interested in farming practices that are really important, you know, if you're going to source meat, it's got to be pasture-raised, uh, grass-fed, free-range, wild-caught. I look at heritage breed. I'd also ask your farmer if they feed those animals corn and soy. Um, I don't have a huge issue with a small amount of that, um, but you want a lower PUFA content feed. Um, You know, chickens should be allowed to eat insects and small rodents and run around and eat scraps. They shouldn't just be given grains and corn. Um, So I'd look at someone that gets a low PUFA content feed, and they should not be given antibiotics and hormones as well. We want to source dairy that is raw from A2 cows. That way it's more digestible. Um, Make sure that it's raw in the sense that it's not heated and pasteurized and basically turned into sugar. So look for that human milk. And I'll also look for produce that's from heirloom and organic sources. Organic seeds are important. Um, Try to avoid GMO'd or hybrided species. Get heirloom species that are older, um, free from glyphosate. Even organic pesticides are not safe, so getting it from a local farmer is the best. And if they use biodynamic preparations, electroculture, or companion planting, uh, they get bonus points. That's a great um, endeavor to be using that helps a lot with soil restoration. And we had a farmer on the podcast previously named Larry Howard. If you go back to the episode, you hear Larry talk about all the amazing things that he's doing down in Bloomington. He's got a term called anonymous eating. 
um, that I now like to steal and use at presentations because I think it's a great um, saying. So I would avoid anonymous eating. So basically, if you don't know who raised it, who grew it, I probably would not put it in your body. The last thing I'll say too is um, I'm a big fan of sometimes using organ meats for the organ affected. So here we're talking about the heart. So I would look at putting beef heart in your diet. It's a rich source of CoQ10. So do some beef heart stew. It's also great, um, especially in the winter right now, to kind of have a nice warming stew. And it's also a great way to hydrate you as well. All right, on to water. So as I mentioned before, you know, water is in a fourth phase when it's healthy in our body, when we're not being denatured from things like EMF or chemicals and contaminants. So healthy fourth phase water is important. Um, you can look up a company called Onalema. Also a Duet Water Revitalizer. Those are two companies that offer structuring devices. Um, if you look at the work of Dr. Emoto or Victor Schauberger and Gerald Pollack, you'll see that water is a um, organism, an entity that stores emotions, memories. It can become structured and influence our cytoplasmic health, the health of our cells. I like that. Victor Schauberger said, um, you know, if I am wrong about this, there is only one more fool in the world. But if I am right about this, God help us all. <laughs> and I think that is very true concerning um, our water that, you know, I think he is largely right. And we've contaminated a lot of the water supply in the world. And I think it's no coincidence that we're seeing lots of health issues as a result. Um, you want water that's free of fluoride, chloramine, pharmaceutical drugs, heavy metals. Um, I personally don't want to have birth control in my water, so I choose to get RO or distilled water. Um, you can get home distillers or go to the store. Um, if you have a spring, source it from a spring. And I would also add minerals through colloidal minerals or use um, shilajit or those revitalizers or those structuring devices to create living water. And keep your water away from cell phones and 5G towers and smart meters and all those other kinds of things. So now we get to talk about herbs. So last couple herbs, these are my favorite things to talk about. Um, and I think they can largely be a benefit. So let's start off with some common ones you probably are familiar with. So Hawthorne is a very popular herb for heart issues. Um, it helps not only improve the tone of the heart muscles, but improve oxygen and uptake. Um, it helps to energize heart cells, the myocardiocytes. It's a heart tonic, so it's, it's safe to use most every day. And I like to use the leaf berry and the flower. So all parts of it, it has flavonoids that work really great. Um, if you made syrups or pulps out of them. But you can also take it as a tincture as well, or as a tea. Another one they might be familiar with is prickly ash. Prickly ash is really helpful for increasing peripheral circulation. Um, if someone has like cold extremities or Raynaud's or nerve pain or damage, I might recommend prickly ash to help with circulation to our extremities. Another common herb that most people are probably familiar with is cayenne pepper. Um, you can get this at most stores. I'd look for something that's at least 60,000 heat units. Um, cayenne 
has been used to help increase circulation, especially if someone has a colder disposition. It can bring warmth. Um, there's a doctor named Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and if you go back to our episode on um, having your own home first aid supply, I talk about using um, cayenne pepper and apple cider vinegar for strokes and heart attack. Now, I'll say as a caveat to that, if you're having a stroke or a heart attack, it's not a bad idea, and I'd recommend still calling 911 or a paramedic, but you know, Dr. Daniels talks about using apple cider vinegar and cayenne pepper mixture to help people um, that are going through a stroke or a heart attack. So if you're interested in that, go back to that episode and listen there. And so that kind of summarizes the three that we're probably most familiar with. And I want to talk about one last one that people may not know. If you read Dr. Cowan's book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, he talks about um, having heart issues for most of his life. He had um, a, a regular heartbeat caused, I believe, by um, a secondary um, pulse that was um, basically, like an, I think it was a electrical stimulation issue, that he had multiple electrical stimuli causing um, a very rapid heartbeat. And so he would like have like a, um, a heartbeat of like 200 and so he eventually started using an herb that helped normalize his heartbeat and some of his heart issues, and that herb was called strophanthus. And so strophanthus is a perennial vine from Africa and Madagascar, um, and native people often called this plant the gift from paradise. And again, if you're really interested in this, I'd go to Dr. Cowan's website, you can also order strophanthus on his website. Now, when we're looking at products, it's the seed that is used, and you want to look at the wabane content in it. And wabane is the active chemical in it. That's also called G-strophanthin. Um, wabane is a cardiac glycoside, and G-strophanthin is a hormone that is made by the adrenal cortex. And it stimulates acetylcholine, which is, again, the main neurotransmitter of the parasympathetic nervous system, and also converts lactic acid and turns it into pyruvate, which, again, we talked about earlier, is basically turning the um, toxic, acidic environment and turning that environment from lactic acid production into pyruvate, which is a preferred fuel source for the heart. So wabane and strophanthus is helpful for making sure that our heart has fuel, and also making sure that we're getting more of a parasympathetic stimulation. It also helps reduce stress, increase our overall sense of well-being, it protects the tissues, um, and makes them utilize oxygen more effectively, and it seems to also be helpful in stabilizing um, the heart. So again, if you're interested in ordering Strophanthus, I'd go to Dr. Cowan's website and check that out. He also has videos talking more about how he's used it over the years. And if you adopted the dietary changes, the water intake, some of these herbs, and you overall tried to balance your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, um, this could be a really helpful way to address heart disease, in my opinion, in the opinion of, I think, Rudolf Steiner, if he was still alive, definitely Dr. Cowan. And I'd also say, too, try to avoid as many chemical contaminants as you can. If you are facing a lot of exposure from medications, from 
a standard American diet from tap water. Avoid those sources first and foremost, and make sure that you're having at least three bowel movements a day and you're eliminating toxins um, very frequently. Um, this is just the beginning of the iceberg for things that can be used. Um, if you want to deep dive these things a little bit more, you're welcome again to reach out to me with questions. You can email me at heartwoodherbals at gmail.com. Uh, I'd say, too, if you've enjoyed today's show and you like the work um, of the podcast, you know, check out our other episodes. Dr. Lauren and I have worked hard to interview some great local guests here in Indiana, um, and I would go back and try to find practitioners who are you know, close to you that you align with and start the health journey now. You got to take the herbs. You got to start the diet. You got to do all that stuff to actually see a difference. Um, I'd say that in my practice, the people who get better are the ones that make these adaptions, these adaptations, excuse me, and they adopt a new lifestyle that's been calling them to change and get better. So you got to do the work to actually see progress. If you only do one of the things and then you slack on everything else, it's going to be a long road ahead, in my opinion. Um, if you really like to the dietary recommendations and you want to connect with a local farmer, come to one of our Weston A. Price chapter meetings. We're going to be having the next one um, in March. So feel free to follow me on social media. Again, it's Heartwood Herbals, so you can check that out. Um, you can also f- follow my practice or reach out to me um, to get one-on-one consults. You can learn about blood analysis, go to plant walks. We also have our monthly classes at Georgetown Market. Uh, if people are interested in cancer therapy and mistletoe, that's something else that we've talked about quite a bit as well, and people can reach out for resources as far as that goes. And I would just say, too, Try to live as close as you can to nature and keep following your destiny. Like Steiner said, you know, try to find things that uh, you would be doing even if you weren't paid. And I think that will help you tremendously. And I hope this is helpful for a lot of people. And I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode of the Awakened Indie Podcast. Peace.